0: please can you remind me if you'll if, you, if you'll be so kind staring out into space asking god to hear my case trying to think of all things past how long will my memory last with purple angels Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. For those of you that are new and just tuning in today, um, I want to give you a little background about us. Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based program um, that provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, like we're going to do today, that we're going to be able to remove some of the stigmas attached to memory loss and help people live full lives with the disease. Um, and we really appreciate you uh, tuning in uh, to listen in today. One of the things that we've also found, um, and we really believe strongly at our core, is that the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia is to be collaborative. And I know that that's working because of all of your likes and clicks and shares with your Facebook um, friends, your your Twitter tribe, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Pinterest people, because of all all of you just taking those seconds, which doesn't seem like a lot of time, when you're listening to the show and pushing the show out, um, we were recognized as the number one influencer online uh, regarding Alzheimer's by Sharecare and Dr. Oz, and that surely would not have happened without your help. So I just really want to say thank you to all of you for helping with that, and if you can continue that, we would love the support. Um, I know even in my own circle of friends, there are people that don't talk about dementia, but they're dealing with it. And then all of a sudden, you know, enough things start hitting them where they feel safe to bring up the conversation. And so I think that happens with everybody's circle of, of influence, that there's people out there that want to talk about it, just aren't sure how to approach it, not sure if it's safe or not. And the more information we can get out to them, the easier we're going to make that uh, happen for them. I also want to mention that um, we interview everybody all over the world. So um, if you are a person who just got diagnosed um, and has a story to tell, uh, maybe you've been living with the disease a while, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe you're caring for a loved one or a friend. Maybe you are a business professional. Uh, Maybe you're someone who has um, written a song, wrote a book, uh, done a a short video series or training. Um, We want to hear it all. Maybe you're involved in research. Um, We've even had Harvard Research on the show. So um, everybody is valued here. So reach out to me at alzheimerspeaks.com and let me know if you think you might be a great guest, because uh, again, we know we have to work together to get this all, all um, kind of put to put to bed and make people feel comfortable with this. Kind of get this disease out of the closet and onto the street, and um, get our communities and our families more dementia friendly <clears throat> and more aware. Now, before I introduce our guest, I always like to give a shout out to a um, couple of my colleagues here at Alive and Social. And the first one is Mortgages and BS. And uh, Mortgages and BS uh, has a great show on Thursdays at 4 o'clock. You'll talk with a, a Lord, um, one of our local mortgage bankers here. And uh also his uh his sidekick, B T and they discuss mortgages and, and all things regarding homes and housing. And so, you know, check them out. You'll get some great information and hear some, some good stories and banters as well. Another show I just kinda wanna highlight is Apples to Apples and that is every Monday at two thirty with uh a father and son team, the Apple Bombs, and you can check them out. You'll hear all about sports and what's going on there. Uh, they're they're pretty fun to uh, to listen to, and you'll find out if father truly knows best or not um, during their conversations. A couple other organizations I want to uh, shout out to is um, a lot of people don't know about the Purple Angel Project, and the Purple Angel is the new global symbol. For dementia, it's free to anybody uh, as an individual or a business. And again, you can go to our website AlzheimerSpeaks.com. If you're here in the U.S., go to initiatives and projects, and just click on that tab. And um, you can ask me to send you a link to the Dropbox. It'll have all all the information there. If you are not in the U.S., it'll also uh, give you a link to go to the global site as well. Uh, Another organization I always like to mention that a lot of people don't know about is Alzheimer's Disease International known as ADI. And ADI is a great organization. They're basically the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. And not only can you find who's closest to you, but you're going to find some great global research there as well, which is wonderful. And last, I just want to give a shout out to um, HealthStar Home Health, uh, who provides services here in the Twin Cities, and they are just a fantastic company doing some cutting-edge work with uh, dementia and caregiving. So without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce our, uh, our guest here today. Very excited to have him. He's coming to us today all the way from Iceland, and his name is Scott Kirschenbaum, and he did a documentary um, film, which is really interesting. Um, and he, he just a, he's just a wonderful guy with a, with a great, uh, great background. He has participated in the San Francisco um, Film Society. And um, in addition to Alzheimer's documentaries, he's recently produced a speaker series called Soapbox in uh, Haiti which premiered um, on uh, four uh, uh, television stations over there. Uh, And it's just rolling up on the one-year anniversary of the earthquake there. And it was featured on ABC World News. He is the director and producer of the film we're going to talk about today, which some of you may have uh, seen some of the trailers for, and it's called You're Looking at Me Like I Live Here, and I don't. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous film, so I'm really excited to have Scott with us. So welcome, Scott.
1: Hi there. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, your your film is really quite amazing. I just, even um, the picture of it, kind of with the half the face, you know, that you have there of this woman, um, I think just says, says a lot in and of itself. Can you give us um, a little background in terms of, you know, why did you decide to make this film?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, my background was mostly in screenwriting prior to doing this project. And I became very infatuated with this idea of telling the story from the perspective of someone who can't really tell their own story, or as the term goes, you know, an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, clearly, you know, someone with Alzheimer's or dementia really has a a difficult time maintaining lucidity and following a linear path in their speech pattern. So I did a great deal of research and I actually had wrote a, a screenplay that I was interested in making before I found the subject for this film, Lee, and then opted to turn this into a documentary project
0: okay now it's it 's obvious um, or or it seems obvious you know after watching the the film that you 're an activist for elderly i 'm just kind of curious and i 'm sure our listeners are Have you been um, personally touched by family or friends with you know alzheimer 's or another form of dementia
1: i 've never had a relative who who had um, alzheimer 's or other dementia, but I did um do a great deal of research and yeah, in the, in this field and I also made a documentary when I was in college called Jumer and it was a story through Jewish humor told through the from the perspective of nursing home residents in 14 nursing homes around the country so just from that experience I really wanted to dig in deeper into the nursing home community and found that uh, memory awareness units were a great place to uh, start
0: Okay, great. Now you've had a chance to like screen this film, you know, all over the country. Um, what kind of reactions have you gotten from the film?
1: I mean, honestly, I'm amazed at how much this film has um, received in terms of its response and its reach. You know, now it's been shown all around the world. Um, and is being used for educational purposes and in nursing homes and for teaching purposes with caregivers. And I I really think of this as sort of like the the little engine that could because at the start it was really focused exclusively on trying to tell this one woman story. And yes, I was doing a residency with the San Francisco Film Society, but I, I never imagined that PBS would want to broadcast this nationally. And then it would have a, you know, sort of a series of screenings for the, for the last five years since it originally broadcast. Wow. So, I mean, it's been truly remarkable. And it's it's very incredible to see how much um, the, the the community that, you, you know, you're really at the <laughs> center of has rallied around this film and used it as a teaching tool. Um, and I really, I mean, I received kind of uh, emails or fan mail Pretty much once a week or you know at least a few times a month from people who can relate to Lee and can relate to this unit and want to do a screening event in their community and so I, I just believe that it's a, you know it's a real treat to see it out there and to see people still interested in the project
0: okay can you tell our audience a little bit about the storyline
1: Sure. Well, the the movie, as you mentioned, is called You're Looking at Me Like I Live Here and I Don't. And the the general conceit is that we focus the entire movie in one Alzheimer's and other dementia unit. We never leave the unit at all during the course of the film, and we also do not, you know, really integrate um, any perspective from a doctor or a family member. It's exclusively told from the perspective of this one woman whose name is Lee Gorwitz, and her unit is in Danville, California, outside of Oakland. So we're trying to say for the audience, we want to fully immerse you in her universe, uh, her daily life, and we want to really kind of try to depict what it's like for her to move from activity to activity, from caregiver to caregiver, and also what is it uh, like for her to tell her own biography. So we do a series of interview sequences throughout the film and and try to kind of play off that the the nonlinear patterns that happen to come up in an Alzheimer's and other dementia unit. So it's a lot different, I think for for your audience, it'll be a lot different from other documentaries they've seen, especially a lot of other Alzheimer's documentaries, you know, which are told from the perspective of doctors or family members or some mix therein. You know, we kind of Definitely studied all the other Alzheimer's and dementia documentaries that were out there, and wanted to tell this story in a, a pretty unique and different way.
0: Okay, so how did you how did you um, come to find Lee and um, convince her to be part of this?
1: Uh, that's a great, a great question. You know, we we were doing a lot of the research for this project, uh, the the production team and I were in the Bronx at a, an Alzheimer's and dementia unit in the Bronx. And so that's where I started writing a screenplay for this film. And then I, uh, you know, was doing some work out in LA and decided to go up to San Francisco. Um, and at that time, I met the rabbi for this nursing home, which is called the, the Reutlinger Community for Jewish Living. Um, and so I met the rabbi, and the rabbi introduced me to the executive director of the nursing home. And her name is Jan Karan, and she's a complete angel. And she actually had done some consulting work for the Oscar-winning short documentary, Complaints of a Dutiful Daughter, which I'm sure a lot of your audience has seen. You know, it's a significant early uh, documentary from the 80s uh, about the sort of relationship between a daughter who's putting her mom into or, you know, helping her mom uh, move into a, Alzheimer's and dementia unit and also kind of giving commentary on her own life. So it's, that's a very unique film. And the fact that the director of this nursing home had experience with documentaries previously played such a huge role in this project. And so the, the after our first tour of the facility, the executive director of the, of the nursing home said, you know, I want to see you make this project. I want to give you carte blanche. And I really want you to be, you know, an integral part of that unit. So for six months, we were visiting the Alzheimer's and dementia unit pretty much three times a week and spending a lot of time with the director of that unit and who is also just a tremendous woman, Karen Kelleher. And she was giving us all sorts of tidbits and pointers about how to make sure this was as authentic a documentary as it possibly could be and and really trying to help us hone in on this idea to make sure that we were, you know, trying, that we are as, um, as accurately as possible seeing the, the world through the eyes of someone with Alzheimer's.
0: Okay. Um, now, did Lee have family and stuff that you had to kind of convince to be part of this process?
1: And I, that's a great question, too. Um, you know, we spent the six-month period in the unit and among the community with the family. So in a way, I was the sort of like de facto uh, grandson that was visiting all, a lot of the residents and, you know, really making sure that they were comfortable with me. I was attending a lot of the family dinners when, when relatives would come in. And, you know, and I presented the whole the scope of the project to the community. There are 20 residents in this unit. And so, you know, meeting with all the family members, especially with Lee's family, um, you know, she has, she had two children during the time of the filmmaking process. Sadly, one of her, her sons has passed away since the film aired, um, but I became quite close with her son and her daughter and her um, daughter-in-law. And so, you know, just meeting with them and getting to see hundreds of photos of Lee from throughout her life. Yes, we were focusing on where Lee was at at this current present moment when she was 79 years old. But prior to that, it was just incredible to see this potpourri of, 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 you know, just an exhilarating life that she lived from the age of, you know, from her time in Brooklyn, New York, all the way through moving to Florida and then moving out to the West Coast to be closer to her children.
0: Wow. Yeah. Oh, very so, you know, sorry. All,
1: oh sorry. Oh, please. no, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, ultimately, we were able to secure permission. I mean, I think this is pretty remarkable and a testament to the, you know, the the compassion and the interest of the children. But 19 of 20 residents' children signed off on letting us film in the unit and all the caregivers and all the staff there, you know, it, this you can't make a film. This is the first, I guess, film in an Alzheimer's and other dementia unit. And you just can't do that if you do not have full buy-in and support. And, you know, this was essentially my extended family during the pre-production process. When we were there for six months, I knew everyone, you know, by their first name. And I really got a sense of the flow of the unit, you know, because each unit has a different feel to it.
0: Sure, sure. Um, one of the what, what were some of the challenges in terms of working on a unit? I would imagine there had to be some.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I would say, you know, the, the most... Uh, clear challenge is that your subjects aren't going to remember your name from one day to the next, aren't going to be able to follow you exactly when you ask a question. I mean, especially with someone in the medium to advanced stage of the disease, um, you know. And obviously, this disease manifests itself in a different way with each person who suffers it from it. But it, you know, in, in total, the the greatest challenge is you just don't have any certainty of what you're going to go in and film from one day to the next so you know with a with a film that you know you, you kind of try to set out a production schedule or a plan and you 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 really need to have complete leeway um no pun intended given the subject name uh you know you just need to be willing and able to go in any direction that is necessary for for the subjects, and also to be uh you know, understanding when things happen in a unit, you're in a very sensitive space. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so dissimilar from any other documentary project I've done. Um, and it's, you know, also each day before we went in there, we, you know, had to take some time to meditate for a bit to, you know, to really compose ourselves because the stronger we were, uh, the more capable we were of kind of buttressing the overall um, you know, energy of the unit and trying to lift the spirits of the residents there, keep them away, keep them attentive, keep them participating in activities, and try to really um, help out as much as we could during the filmmaking process.
0: Okay. Now, <clears throat> I, I would imagine that had to be um, really interesting, because you always think of films and budgets and time frames and stuff, and to lose a lot of that control, um, just given... You know the environment that you're in. Um, you know you had talked earlier about um, you know watching people. You know watching Lee basically go from activity to activity and and caregiver to caregiver. What did you see when she went from activity to activity? Did something you know as a person who hasn't um, dealt with the disease itself was there was there anything that kind of shocked you or made you just go wow I had no idea.
1: Well, you know, Lee is a a pretty exceptional woman. Uh, You know, during this filmmaking process, I found that her to be kind of the most charismatic and uh, humorous individual I've ever met with this disease with Alzheimer's or uh, dementia. And so I'd say the biggest challenge was her volatility. She was both um so endearing from you know day to day and activity activity but also uh, such a dominant presence in the facility and one of the reasons why we decided to title this film the way we did which you know pretty lengthy title is because of the duality in of lee in this space and that is that she kind of held herself as outside of the the other residents who lived there and at times she was a bully to other residents who lived there and she was really hobnobbing and mingling with a lot of the caregivers in, in a way she thought she sort of had this omnipotence in a, in a regard of like understanding what the happenings and goings on of the unit. And also didn't really feel like it was necessary to be, you know, in every activity, but rather kind of pick and choose how she moved through the space. So the biggest challenge was, uh, you know, being able to um, Work with her through those those more difficult moments when she was really down and really depressed, or when she really was frustrated with what was going on um, in the unit. I'd say that was one of the biggest hurdles for making this film. You know, because it takes a lot out of you. You're making it, as a as a director. I was trying to make myself emotionally available to each of the residents. And when someone starts, you know, crying off in the corner or in her room, it's it, you can't help but feel really aggrieved and sad that you can't do more to help her. So I'd say that was the biggest challenge working through those volatile moments. And I'd say another, you know, I'd say challenge but slash opportunity was really integrating the caregiver community into the filmmaking process. We had, you know, it was necessary for us to have a caregiver with us at all times, no matter where we were in the unit. And so in a way, they were an extension of our production team. So while that some people might think that's you know challenging because they don't know about film, I really saw it as a big benefit for how to make this project. You know, and I'd ask them questions about you know maybe any suggestions they might have for an interview or for where we could set up the camera that would be convenient. And you know, this film is very much a, a testament of their day-to-day labor because you know caregivers are the unsung heroes of the memory and dementia unit. You never hear how wonderful they are from people who, you know, don't visit the unit on a daily basis, but I know they're the life force of that space.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's very, very true. Do you think, um, in terms of the film, do you, do you think that you were also able to highlight the caregivers roles? Um, do you think that that stood out at all in the film?
1: I do. I I mean, I think that, you know, obviously, um, when you're in a unit, an individual who lives there probably interacts with three to five different caregivers through the course of a day. And, you know, at different blocks of time, a different caregiver is assigned to that resident. I would say, in general, each of these mini interactions, because the film is composed of a series of vignettes, you know, it's kind of starts when she wakes up in the morning and ends sort of right before Dinner time and the sunsets, and you know when people might experience sundowning. So through that expanse of time, the caregiver, those many interactions were beautiful. And in a way, Lee would, you know, create this sort of Abbott and Costello dynamic where the caregiver might be the straight person, and and Lee would be the the jokester. And that was just phenomenal the way that they they responded to her and her sense of humor.
0: Wow. You know, one of the things that when I was reading over, you had sent just a great press um, press kit with, and um, you had talked in, initially about, you wrote this screenplay that you had intended to, film, um, entirely in an Alzheimer's unit. And after many weeks of rehearsal, you say I arrived at a troubling realization that I was not just making a challenging film. I was just making the wrong film. What do you, <laughs> what the heck do you do okay. as a director at that point when you're, when you're, you know, knee deep into it?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's sort of a microcosm for the complete experience that an individual especially uh, someone who is caregiving to someone with Alzheimer's that they face you know so some people when they find someone who you know their relative they learn that they have Alzheimer's and other dementia it's obviously crushing and debilitating to in so many different ways and but you know you hear every so often of that story where the the relative or the parent is sort of experiencing the that zen of dementia, the zen of Alzheimer's. You hear talk of that. And though you can't communicate in the same way or have this lengthy, completely directed conversation, what you can do is follow whims and just go in any direction you want. And so for me, I just had to throw my hands up in the air and say, hey, this is what, you know, this is what sort of fate commands and that I just need to believe fully that lee is is so compelling and and such a moving figure that i should invest the entire film scope into her um, story and her experience so for me it was you know very frustrating to have to tear up that screenplay that i had before but also you know what can you do and that's kind of a, a big lesson that i've learned that you know in the filmmaking process you especially with documentary films you don't get to make the same film that you conceived of from the onset when you were just writing your initial grant proposals. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that things come up during that filmmaking process and and sometimes they're detrimental to what you wanna do, but sometimes they're the greatest blessing you could receive. And for me, that was the case with this project.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I love um, a, a couple of other statements in here. One is uh, your composer, John Gage, um, once wrote, he says, the first question I ask myself when something doesn't seem to be beautiful is, why do I think it's not beautiful? And very shortly, you discover there is no reason. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, it just, it, it doesn't have to have a reason. It just... There's that shift, and and things just change. And then um, you also write it kind of in summary here that until there's a cure for Alzheimer's, there's one way outside of medicine to counter this disease, something we all have within our reach. Whatever the road, whatever our relative agility to... um, to transversing it. And it's, it's empathy. And, you know, empathy is something we just really don't talk about a whole lot, but it's Mm -hmm. so critical to our relationships. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of why the world is almost cracking right now. I mean, (laughs) we're seeing so much upheaval is we've, we've lost that ability. We don't, we don't teach it. We don't lead with it. Um, we don't show it, um, as much as I think, as it needs to be done. And I, I think the film um, does that beautifully. So I thank I appreciate you. That. Thank you very much for that. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one scene that just kind of stands out to you that just you know kind of makes your chest puff up and that you're you're excited about every time you see it play?
1: <laughs> well, you know, we do screening events pretty regularly at universities for dementia pro research programs neuroscience programs gerontology programs nursing programs and consistently and regularly i know that when we reach the scene where lee is dancing to beyond the sea it's you know if the audience can can get with that scene can really uh, appreciate that scene then then they're sold for the rest of the film because you know that's just um, uh, amazingly great timing to be able to see Lee, you know, this woman who's pretty much on her own through the unit, decide that she's going to have herself this fantastic dance to be on the sea. So that's that's always, like, a, a, I'd say the greatest crowd pleaser, if you will. But um, for me, you know, I also say that some of the, you know, especially with the quote you just read, that some of the sadder moments in the film or some of the times when we're doing interviews, I can also point to those moments as well. And, you know, one, one thing I consistently hear from audience members is that, you know, although they can't understand exactly what Lee is saying, they understand the feeling of what she is saying. And that really, uh, I think, speaks to a greater objective for this project and for how people relate to individuals with Alzheimer's. You need, you know, the word empathy always comes up because you you can't expect to have the same conversation that you had with these individuals before they started losing their uh, their mental faculties or the, you know their cap- capacity for memory and so to me. Th- any moment that it comes up in the unit, even if it's just like complete absurdity, might have some resonance and truth to it. And so I really encourage people, you know, and I worked on this project with a group of 20-somethings. We were all a pretty young team of filmmakers. And for them, a lot of them had never even uh, met someone with Alzheimer's or other dementia. And I just tried to say to them, hey, don't make a judgment right away. Don't tell me just right off the bat that this is too depressing or too difficult, you know, go in there and spend two hours with the residents and see how that feels, you know, and that really, that, that really made the film project a lot more easily, easy to accomplish and the production process, a lot more healthful and holistic.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. Now, one of the things that was stated um, about your film was that it takes a simple but bold step of, of um, making, um, an alzheimer's um, kind of only tale which which mm-hmm. is pretty rare usually there's a bigger plot and stuff, and it says it's not a plot point um, that propels a narrative it's an inescapable box and mm-hmm. I just that is just such a great visual, I think of the disease. And mm-hmm. I, I think most people with it would would agree with that. It's just something that has limits, and you don't really know where those limits are going to be from day-to-day or moment-to-moment, um, you know, as the disease kind of ebbs and flows um, in someone's life. But if uh, if care partners can start looking at it more in that light, um, I, I think that that will, will greatly help. Um, when you show this at universities, um, who generally is your audience? Is it more of a, a medical mix, or you know, social services, or is it just general population?
1: Yeah, it's it's a mix of all all of those. Um, usually, the the host for these events will be a professor within one of those you know subject matters that I mentioned, and so they'll bring the film to campus and perhaps dovetail this screening event with a larger say, Alzheimer's and Dementia Awareness program Mm -hmm. um, on campus. So, you know, maybe it's trying to discuss some of the, you know, legislation that's going on within the community, or maybe there's a, you know, special anniversary for the number of years that they've been researching this subject matter. But usually what will happen is the the host of the event, or the MC, will give a 10-minute background to their relationship to this disease, what research they're doing, doing, or what family member they've had, um, worked with who's had this illness and disease. And then they'll they'll screen the film. And afterwards, we'll have a panel discussion um, with a, a, approximately three professors, maybe someone from the Alzheimer's Association or another caregiving organization in the community, and then also. You know maybe we'll bring in someone from another art uh, discipline as well so sometimes it could be someone from the humanities or from the nursing department or even someone from the anthropology department just to give this outside perspective on what they're seeing in the film um, but usually it will always have uh, you know kind of as po- as much as possible the foremost expert on the the dementia research that's happening on campus we love to get their response because you know ultimately the conversations we have center on three three areas of focus one is you know kind of the content of the film another is the research that that university or community is doing um, in you know on this disease and the third is you know what are the resources that are available within that community so we have students who are there some of them are getting extra credit for attending the event and writing a synopsis of their experience watching the film. You know, we have people from the the public that are coming there and you know sometimes we'll have someone from the audience stand up and say, I was just diagnosed a week or two ago with this disease. Um, you know, I'm devastated. Is there any hope, doctor? You know, mm-hmm. and that's just uh yeah, a pretty chilling experience to have that happening in a Q&A after a film event. But that's the reality. That is the inescapable box. And so what I love about doing these screening events is that for 30 or 45 minutes after the film, people are invigorated and animated about talking through what's possible and coming up with some sort of answers, some solutions, trying to help out other audience members as well. Um, and it's so just wonderful to get to meet people who are, are doing their part
0: yeah, um, the, I find the talkbacks real interesting. I'm working with a film right now called uh, His Neighbor Phil. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but um, you know it hasn't been on the big screen, and it's you, you can only see it through sponsors. But we always do talkback, and it's amazing the conversations that are had, and the comfort level people ha- have, and the intimate details that they're talking about in their life to a group of total strangers. Um, and I would imagine your film, like like his neighbor Phil, a lot of times I have to talk for five or ten minutes and um, kind of be vulnerable myself sharing what I felt and what I experienced because the audience can't even talk. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're just, the emotions are so strong with it. And and to me, that's really a cool place to be because I think that's where change happens.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely.
0: And, uh, I mean,
1: I'm uh, oh, sorry, please. Oh,
0: yeah. no, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, you know one of the most remarkable experiences I've had at a screening event, and you know I love mentioning this is I did a screening at Bowdoin College in maine, and at, you know it was obviously a cold fall day um and afterwards, I got up onto the stage and sat next to three professors and i you know I was looking down at my shoes waiting for the m c or the you know to start talking through the first questions or, you know, speaking to each of the professors and suddenly I look over and all three of the professors are wiping tears from their eyes, you know, mm-hmm. and they can't even begin to, they, they ask for a few extra minutes before we begin the conversation. I just thought that was amazing, you know, to see for me, especially, you know, and I hear this from researchers a lot, you know, they don't see the human side of this, you know, this, this sort of like in-depth human side of the story that often. So to see films like, you know, maybe the, the film that you're screening or the the film that I made or any of these other, you know, there are so many Alzheimer's and other deme- mm-hmm. do- dementia documentaries coming out right now. So any of these films can really be uh, an amazing conversation starter and also give people a lot, you know, the kind of necessary community experience that they need because caregiving is so solitary at times.
0: Uh, exactly, exactly. I know when we were kind of devising kind of a marketing plan and stuff. You know, they're like, should we put it on the big screen? Should we, you know, do the the film festivals? You know, what should we do? And I said, if you really want to help people, we need to get mm-hmm. it into smaller venues where people mm-hmm. feel safe and comfortable and where we can tap them into resources uh, mm-hmm. because that's that's what community needs. That's what even staff needs. Because they they do feel isolated, and you know, sometimes people forget how much knowledge they have until they hear somebody else doesn't have it yet. And Mm -hmm. you know, to get them to share, and and to me, that's just a a magnificent thing to see. Too, how did you how did you come up with the title, Scott?
1: Well, without giving, I guess, too much away, I will say that um, this line is uh, related to. an interview sequence that happens in the film with Lee and I just think um, you know in reflecting I had a different title from the onset and that title was Three Bagel Sunday which I know is a pretty out there title and for me (laughs) I just kind of wanted to capture the 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 word salad poetry that you often hear people with Alzheimer's and other dementia say and so um, ultimately in post-production we wanted to change the title and we're bouncing around a few different ideas but that expression just kept coming up for me you're looking at me like I live here and I don't and that is that is what Lee's life is like when she's in that space and um and also you know I've heard a linguistics professor talk about that sort of duality in the title that you know you're looking at me like she lives here or like she's alive in that space but also there's this doubt of of whether that uh, the 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 sort of veracity of that you know where it to what extent is she alive in that space and to what extent is she sort of transitioning to that threshold space you know as people who continue to lose their memory do so um, it sort of speaks to Lee being present but also being absent
0: Mm -hmm. okay which which I think people with dementia would say all the time you know sometimes there's those I mean even my mom had that had dementia for 30 years so she started at my age in her mid-50s And lived to eighty six, and even in her last four years, when she was in her end stages, there would just be moments. I mean, and it was just short seconds of such vivid clarity and connection, and you just kind of go, "Wow, where'd that come from?" You know, and and yet you you were just so appreciative that it that it showed itself and that you were able to witness it. You know, Mm -hmm. just those seconds and and how. You know how they just touch your heart and they change your life forever. Very cool. Absolutely. Um, now, Absolutely. now your film has been called, you know, really groundbreaking, and and I would totally have to agree with that. Can you give us like three points of why you think um, you got? You know, I mean, that's just huge buzz. Um, mm-hmm. to, to be able to have that with with the film that you've made. Can you give us three points of why you think um, people just saw it as something they've never seen before?
1: I think, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, the first thing is, and you can see this in the trailers, that we try to, you know, humbly say that this is the first film that was shot entirely in an Alzheimer's and dementia unit and told entirely from the perspective of someone with the disease. So that's just right off the bat, we want to establish the sort of uh, artistic space that we are working in for this project. And then, you know, secondly, I really think Lee carries the film more so than anything else. People love Lee, people Mm -hmm. respond to Lee, and people just continuously say oh I've been thinking about Lee for the last week since the film came out you know I'm saying these phrases that Lee used that said in the film and I just can't help but feel like Lee is somehow related to my mom um, who may have passed away a year or two or however long ago so Lee is just you know she's an all-star whippersnapper Mm -hmm. if you will (laughs) and then you know a third I would I would credit a lot to PBS's documentary program Independent Lens because they've worked with a lot of projects that deal with Alzheimer's and dementia. I know recently they aired um, Banker White's film Genius of Marianne, and I think they really catalyzed this project into the larger um, world of documentaries and also really getting it into the niche where people who care about this disease would be able to see it. So they've really enabled it to get out to such a wa- large and, um, audience. You know, We had, I think, I guess, two million viewers, the initial broadcast air date. And since then, you know, we've had all these downloads and different ways of distributing the film that PBS is really centrally responsible for. And I credit them because they are, une- in, on my mind, unequivocally the most compassionate film organization in the country, hands down. They're amazing, they're beautiful. And the director of this program, Lois Fawson, is, you know, she is um, a renegade for the documentary cause and has done so much for independent filmmakers like myself. So I think those are the three main reasons why the film's been able to get there, get out there for as long as it has.
0: Wonderful. Um, now, with with the film, was there anything that was really a big surprise to you other than, you know, you ripped up your script and, <laughs> and started all over? from what, what you were thinking you were going to do. Um, anything that just really caught you one day on sets as you were Mm -hmm. filming?
1: Um, you know, I'd say in a general sense, I did not realize uh, a big question that kept coming up was can, will an audience be able to stay with and stay committed to a subject with this disease Mm -hmm. where it's just, her for the most part. Well, how long would an audience be willing to stay with this subject? Mm-hmm. And, and, and at first I thought, oh, you know, maybe this is a, a movie that'll be two hours long. Mm-hmm. And then when we started doing the first uh, rough cut and feedback screenings, we were working with a film that was about 80-ish minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it was only when one of the directors from the San Francisco Film Society said, hey, you know, PBS does these films at 53 minutes. Mm-hmm. Why don't you try winnowing it down to that length? Only when that happened did I really start to see how um, how logical the structure for the film could be. You know, and that's kind of a, a interesting thing to say because the post production process with this film was particularly time intensive. You know, sure. I'm going through and listening to all these long speeches that Lee was giving during interview sequences. You know, I'd ask her the same question or 15 different times,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and, and just trying to piece together a narrative that an audience could really relate to, connect with, and, and feel for. And so I think that process was uh, particularly gratifying to me, and I also was surprised by finding, you know, that you know, I, I kind of likened it to organizing a book of poetry. You know, you have 30 or 40 poems, and you need to figure out where each poem goes and also how to feed, how to segue from the last poem to the next poem. And that, that, you know, that's very similar to a unit because you could be at a meal one day and suddenly one of the residents gets up and is, you know, in their room picking up a purse and, and maybe trying to put on a fancy ballroom dancing hat, you know, mm-hmm. that could happen within the span of three minutes. And instead of saying, oh, that is inane or that's ridiculous, how about looking at it and saying, you know, that is just the truth of that space. Anything goes, you know? So as a director, my attitude was, Hey, I just need to deal with it. I need to work with it and I need to support this.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, And I, I, I love that attitude. Anything goes, you know, cause it, you can't argue with them. You're not going to, you know, you, the logic piece is gone, but yet everyone kind of goes after that angle in terms of trying to logic and, and uh, change somebody's mind and, you know, it's just not going to happen. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's um what I learned with my own mom through that process of kind of going with the flow was, you know, learning to take life not so seriously, that it didn't have to be black and white and that there was a lot of gray and there was a lot of beautiful colors in between that I wasn't seeing mm-hmm. before because uh, she allowed mm-hmm. me to kind of play and use my imagination as long as nobody's getting hurt, you know, um, it was, it was all game and it became fun and enjoyable instead of judgmental. Do you think, Mm -hmm. um, or did you see, um, because you talked with, you know, families of, of the residents and, you know, got to know the staff, did they make any comments when they saw the film, anything that kind of shocked them or changed their perception of the disease?
1: Well, you know, I think that the the biggest sort of shock for them was learning the news that it was going to be aired nationally. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the, from the onset, it was mostly a small crew and we were young filmmakers in, in the making process. And for them to hear, oh, this is getting this national release, that was a big thing. And also, um, you know, getting the release agreement signed, that took a... a, a the process both to do it before we even filmed the the film the project but also before it aired on PBS we had secondary releases signed as well so in that process we had a lot of the family members who watched the film before it aired and and we received you know a lot of different responses and i just think you know the biggest thing that we heard was i appreciate the the total perspective of the project and I think that you depicted my parent with as much respect and grace as you, as you could you know and in, in one sequence I think it, it was particularly tough because and this is what happens when you make a film there were residents who were passing away you know every month or every two months and and I didn't know which residents would make it till the film aired on PBS and so that was I had to be particularly sensitive about that because I didn't you know I didn't want this to be um you know, presented to them right a week or two after they lost their parent, or when they were still in the grieving process. Sure. Um, right. But you know, in the to a large extent, it was amazing to hear that a lot of these parents were helping us with the Facebook and outreach efforts, and were telling the film, telling their friends about the film. And some of the parents, some of the excuse me, some of the children of the residents came to screening events in the Bay Area when we were doing screenings there. Um, at Stanford or the Contemporary Jewish Museum, and it was great to get their feedback and have them participate in the Q&A as well.
0: Oh, neat. Yeah, I I can see where that would be um, really interesting. And then just um, when you've got a loved one with this disease, to know that they were part of something so big. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, very wonderful work um, that you've done. Um, and it's just, it's so nice that it's so embraced and really changing lives on, on all different levels. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I, just have to give you kudos, uh, so much for this film. Again, the name of the film is you're looking like I live here and I don't, um, what's next for you, Scott?
1: Uh, I'm currently, um trying to develop a, a new documentary that is, I'd say, a different perspective on birth and a woman's experience during the labor process. So I've been doing a lot of research uh, with doulas and midwives around the United States and also um, abroad as well. I've been recently in Mexico and the Netherlands um, talking to some indigenous midwives. And so I'd say that is my greatest focus right now. And uh, you know, I, I had the privilege. I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, so I did a lot of work with the Cherokee Preservation Foundation there as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that as well. My daughter just had a baby a year ago, and boy, that was uh, quite the process. So, you know, I I forgot how long ago it it's been for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it just brings it all back. But things have really, really changed over the years. So I'm sure that that'll just be a beautiful. Beautiful film in and of itself, um, if people are interested in your film um, you're looking at me like I live here and I don't what's the best way for them to uh to uh, get a hold of uh, a copy of that or um, coordinate to have you come out do you still go out and do screenings of that, or you know is it best just for people to buy the d v d or
1: Sure. Well, yeah, it's a pretty, I guess, straightforward process because of the title. So our website is Mm you'relookingatme.com. And then, you know, we have Facebook and Twitter. Both of those are, you know, Facebook is you're you're looking at me as well. And Twitter is you're looking at me too. Um, And we have a pretty, you know, broad network of people through both of those social media avenues. And then additionally, you know, obviously folks can buy the DVD if they'd like to. Um, universities and public libraries can use the film nursing homes can use the film uh, we also have streaming versions of the film pretty much every uh, possibility here so because with Amazon and Vimeo and then also educational streaming too um, and then if if any organizations are interested in having me come out and participate in a panel discussion they can always email me directly through the website for the film um, and I will Be able to talk through what that kind of entails and how to plan for these events and give them all the necessary publicity and outreach materials. So, um, hopefully, you know, I definitely encourage your listeners to reach out if they'd like. And if they have any questions about the project or how to use the film, um, to the best of their abilities within the community, then, you know, definitely send me a, drop me a line by email.
0: Okay, great. And you were really gracious to offer our um, listeners and followers ten percent off the DVD orders of the film. Mm-hmm. They just have to use the code "Brunch with Lee." That's "Brunch with Lee" is the code. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Is there is there any uh, last minute comment that you would like to make to our audience before we let you go?
1: I just you know, I just want to say thanks for being a part of the community. You know, it's a uh, uphill battle but it's amazing to see how much individuals are rallying around this cause and um, you know it's wonderful that you are able to do a podcast like this and that we're able to have this conversation so thank you so much
0: well, thank you. Keep up the great work and uh, i 'm sure a lot of our listeners will be grovelling to your website and uh, ordering uh, ordering their copies or maybe reaching out to you to to have you participate in an event it 's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful film, um, very educational um, and emotional. I think people will get great, great insights from it. So uh, don't don't miss out on this film. Again, the name of it is You're Looking at Me Like I Live Here and I Don't. Thank you again, Scott, for your time today. Appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you. Uh, before we close out, I always just like to um, do some uh, highlights. If you didn't listen to our, our show last week, we had Susan uh, Rambos on. And she talked about uh, brain injury that she personally had um, and kind of correlates it to dementia symptoms. She doesn't necessarily have dementia, but the symptoms and the overlap was pretty interesting. We had a couple of people, Harry Urban was with us, along with Michael Ellenbogen, who both have dementia, and they were kind of shocked as well in terms of the similarities. Uh, Next week, we're going to have singer and pianist uh, John Morehouse with us, and he Um, You know, his career has spanned over 40 years, and he has uh, shared the stage with some of the most famous bands and singers in the world. So it'll be really fun to hear what he is up to. He's got a great uh, series of six sing-alongs that he has done with DVDs that are sold for uh, senior music therapy and recreation programs um, in six countries now. So we'll get to be able to hear about that. Um, If you haven't had a chance to watch Dementia Chats, which we did a couple weeks ago, that's a video. We had uh, Harry Urban, uh, Paul Ann Gordon, Michael Ellenbogen, and Truthful Loving Kindness were our experts who are all diagnosed with dementia. And on uh, that particular video, you'll see we talked about the loss of of one of um, a a great advocate over in Indonesia, uh, Barry Pinkhurst, and... um, We talked about advocacy in general, and we also talked about emotional connections and disconnections when dealing with dementia as a whole. You can um, also, I wanted to just highlight, you can see um, a screening of your neighbor Phil at uh, Polar Ridge Senior Living in North St. Paul in Minnesota at 2 p.m. on January 24th if you're interested. And then I'll be out in Seattle um, February 8th through the 13th doing several venues out in that area as well. A couple of um, great blog posts you might want to read. Um, one is called Mama's Hands, um, beautiful poem written by one of our, our um, community members. And then uh, Kevin Wu uh, wrote a, an interesting article called Driving Mr. Jim, that has some great perceptions in it, lots of comments on that. And uh, there are several others that are going to be coming out this week that I think you'll really like as well. So we will talk to you all next week. In the meantime, don't forget about applying uh, the tools from your memory chip, which teaches us to really focus on are they safe, are they happy, and are they pain-free. Have a great week, everyone. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host...